0: Today's episode of Probably Science is brought to you by Wondrium, who have thousands of audio and video learning experiences to feed your curiosity. Right now, our listeners can get one free month of unlimited access to their entire library if you go to Wondrium.com slash probably. That's wondriu dot slash probably. Probably Science.
1: welcome to Probably Science. I'm Matt Kershen.
0: I'm Andy Wood. Hey, Andy. Hello, hello. What's new in your? Oh, got... hey.
1: Slick. How's the <laughs> desert? How, how Has it cooled down? Are you still Ooh. toasting out there?
0: I've been uh, trying to get out uh, as much as I can during these hot months. I was just, just up in Lake Tahoe doing the Trans-Tahoe Relay with five friends of mine. It's a six-person relay across the width of Lake Tahoe swimming.
1: Oh, that's the swim. Okay. Oh, that's what, was that the thing you were trying to pick a T name for?
0: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, another swimmer who uh, I begrudgingly had to admit he had a better, I mean, they're all dumb names, um, but I was overthinking it. And it's uh, it was mostly, we had two teams of Cornell swimmers and uh, we ended up with Finger Lake and Good, because that's the kind of name you, you'd have for a dumb Perfect. Tahoe relay. But yeah. Anyway. Had-
1: Right, let's introduce our guest and then I want to let's find out it. how a relay works in the middle of a lake sure like, yeah <laughs> do you like are you positioned in the middle of the lake waiting for your fr-
0: let's we let's have introduce a boat yes let's bring in our guests then we'll talk about the relay
1: all right. all right our guest is a a comedian a filmmaker a writer uh has a brand new comedy album out right now that you can find out all about oh and a Canadian we've had a lot of Canadians recently and I like it it's Sean Devlin everyone hey Sean
2: hello thanks for having me and the answer is they pass around a, a floating baton.
1: Right, <laughs> exactly. Yeah, so what, are, you, are you like waiting on like a pontoon or something? How does it?
0: Yeah, well, you, you run a boat. So every team of six has a boat. And then you're, you're, you're going very slowly in the boat next to your swimmer for, at first, if, all six of you do half an hour each. Then you do 10 minutes each until you reach the end of the lake. Wow. So, yeah, and we ended up doing four oh, so hours, like, 18 so- minutes.
1: Oh wow! Okay, so it's not just like you each do a sixth of the lake. You like you're constantly you're jumping in and out constantly.
0: Yeah, well, the half hour is pretty long. So I mean, the really good teams I don't think any of them finish in just the half hour legs because that would be three hours to go ten mile. Uh, yeah, I think everybody at least gets into the the ten minute legs, and then one of the boats near us there's like 150 boats of six people. Usually it's way more than that, but I think maybe post COVID it's a little smaller. Um, but one of the boats, our team name was Second Leg is Naked. And sure enough, uh, when they were doing one of the transitions, look over and there's this woman stripping down and diving in and tagging out her naked uh, teammate who climbs in the boat and then <laughs> puts, puts clothes back on. So it's that kind of thing also. Um, okay. So <laughs> surprising it's like, amount of nudity. <laughs> so, so it's a very serious event. Very, very serious. Yeah, exactly. I got a little, uh, we, we got third place for our age group. We got a little coffee mug here with the uh, Trans Tahoe really logo on it. Yeah, it was actually it was super fun. I highly recommend it to anybody who trusts that they can swim for half an hour without drowning. Um, very very fun, gorgeous lake. Obviously, like I can, one I would places. fall at
1: that first hurdle. Were there uh, hurdles?
0: Yes, water hurdles. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm an
1: okay swimmer,
2: but I, I don't swim in any body of water where my foot might touch something mysterious.
0: <laughs>
1: oh no, yeah, it is so. Kinda, so like any public swimming pool. Yeah, basically anywhere, but. <laughs> Lakes, especially
0: it is. a. I mean, it's it's, a, it's it's almost creepier that this is a super deep lake. I think it's like 1600 feet deep. So out in the middle of it, you just feel like and it's super blue. You're just looking down into blue nothingness and it doesn't feel like you're moving. And once you get closer to the shore and you can see the bottom, then it's somehow like feels easier because you can tell that progress is happening. But in the middle, it just just feels like you're in space. It's the weirdest thing. And it's also pretty cold. You're not allowed to wear a wetsuit either. So that's part of what I guess whittles down the crowd size. And was well, how- there any
2: prize bigger than a mug? I don't. Uh, are, are the other is that such a thing <laughs> could there be?
0: I think they're all uh, liquid container prize. Uh, the second place that uh, friend, our other team got was some other water vessel, maybe like a, a insulated water bottle instead of a mug. So I don't know what first place okay. would be like a, a growler. I don't know what what's what's the ultimate liquid container
1: tankard. I mean, like how big are we going?
0: Yeah, a Nebuchadnezzar. Do they have those for water bottles? Yeah. Do they have the <laughs> biblical names for bigger water bottles? One of those novelty boots that you can drink beer out of in
1: a, in a German bar?
0: Ooh, oh, man. I, if that's the prize, i got to train harder for next year. <laughs> I could do with one of those. Is it Anyhow, uh, that was my adventure at Lake Tahoe. What have you been up to back in L.A.? How are things with the re-slight closing down or whatnot?
1: They, they seem... I, my life has changed almost not at all. Because oh. I was... I don't know. I still was wearing a mask when I went to the supermarkets, and now I have to do that.
0: Yeah, it's. I guess that's not the biggest deal. As long as things are still open, I guess the mask is a small price to pay for having life happening.
1: Yeah. So I, I don't know. How's How's uh, Vancouver treating you? Um, it's okay. They 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 took away the
2: masks uh, about a week ago, but as of today, there's a province wide state of emergency because of wildfires.
1: Oh, that's right.
2: So we're in terror science mode up here.
0: Yeah. (laughs) I should have mentioned also during the race, a wildfire was starting up, and there was this huge pyrocumulus cloud overlooking the lake that the next day covered the entire lake in smoke as I drove back. So, yeah, the world's on fire here, too. California is up in flames.
1: Did you feel like a little bit safer, though, because you're in the middle of a lake?
0: Yeah, I mean, also, you could, the <laughs> wind hadn't quite shifted it. I mean, the bigger issue it was just like if it had blown across, it was just hard harder to breathe the next day from all the smoke. So, yeah, it's a, it's fixing to be a gross summer. Mm-hmm. And right. I have no idea what the solution to the fire stuff could be. It seems like it's decades of missed opportunities. I don't even know how you do controlled fires to thin out things so things aren't a tinderbox, but now we're here, and I don't know what you do. Once you find yourself in this situation. But in fact, we should have somebody on to talk about that at some point. <laughs> but uh, like, so it, like an
1: actual fire expert or just like yes. a teenager who really knows some stuff?
0: Right. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Fireworks expert.
1: On, on that note, Sean, we'd like to ask our guests before we get deep into the science stories. Uh, what, if anything, their background is in science. And that has frequently involved blowing stuff up in the woods and setting fire to things with friends.
2: Yeah, I've definitely set some things on fire, but I do have some very specific science credentials, which is that my mother had a PhD in chemistry. Okay. And the primary way this affected me was that she was conducting experiments in the laboratory while she was pregnant with me. And okay. so I was born with defects, which she credits to her chemical experiments during pregnancies specifically i was born with lymphangioma which is a malform a malformation that involves the lymphatic and vascular systems behind my right eye um and it it sounds a lot more complicated basically what it means is if i sleep on the right side of my face my eye swells up so I've never been able to sleep on the right side of my face.
1: <laughs> That's a really specific <laughs> restriction.
0: Yeah, yeah. How much has that impacted your life, would you say?
2: Well, when I was really young, probably till the age of about five, my this is going to make my parents sound terrible, but they did it out of love. They they tied uh, one, one of my arms to the side of the bed, so I literally couldn't roll over in my sleep. Um and then over time, I learned to just do that naturally. Uh, so it hasn't been terribly inconvenient, but I definitely prefer a certain side of the bed.
0: <laughs> Did that right. result in any? Yeah. I, I, well, first of all, how bad would the swelling be if you didn't if you didn't know and accidentally turn on that side?
2: Um, it looks like. Someone tried to kill me by punching me in the eye.
0: <laughs> oh, God. Wow. Okay. Good
2: like, it, it, it really swells up and, and, like, looks like my eye is going to explode or something.
0: <laughs> yeah, that's not the direction I was hoping. With the laboratory stuff, I was hoping we were going to hear, like, a superhero origin story, how your powers came to be. Or um, well, you just well,
1: helped with it, experiments. and Or that. <laughs> well, there, there
0: was a certain superhero
2: part to it, which was that... As a result of of this uh, condition I was born with my mother essentially kind of abandoned conventional chemistry and then spent the rest of her life devoted to environmental chemistry because she she realized you know the impact that these chemicals could have on people and devoted herself to trying to uh, you know, save communities from harmful chemical pollution and this sort of thing.
0: Oh, that's th- very that's cool. Interesting. You yeah. Said, what so the, the compounds that were at play were what again?
2: Oh, I don't. I don't actually know. She never told me the the specifics. But uh, but yeah. So it's it's swelling behind my right eye. That has to do with the uh, the lymphatic system.
1: Mm, but I'm that's interesting because that. you've also like you've done a lot of your filmmaking and you've been involved like sort of prank filmmaking and political filmmaking and a bunch of that has been sort of political and against both conservative governments and larger corporations. And the- Yeah. And a lot of it focused on climate change. So I, I definitely inherited
2: some of that from my mom. Um, she, my parents did put me in a science camp for two summers. Um, the first summer, the this was like a small camp with like twelve kids in it where you you know, you do stuff like you're gonna throw an egg off of the roof of this building and you have to build a, a parachute to save it. I don't know how scientific that all is, but <laughs> it's pretty scientific, yeah. <laughs> is it okay, okay. And uh but the most interesting thing about this science camp was that the first year I went the camp was called Imagineering and you know, all these kids loved it, we did it. And the next year when we came back, the counselors had told us that Uh, in the off-season, the Disney Corporation
0: (laughs) had tracked
2: down this tiny day science camp in Guelph, Ontario, and threatened them with litigation. So they changed the name to Creative Encounters, which is obviously worse. Um, Right. And then the uh, dating site (laughs) creativeencounters.com. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And... uh, yeah, and then um, my science career essentially ended in high school. Um, I had a biology class where I was assigned to do a project on rabies. And instead of doing the project, I just submitted a video of me at the shopping mall putting Alka-Seltzers in my mouth and f- <laughs> foaming at strangers. <laughs> um, definitely influenced by Tom Green, I believe, at that time. Uh-huh. Um, yeah. Yeah. Yep. And so my biology teacher asked me to um, quit his class, but (laughs) did admit that he found it sort of entertaining. And and here I am now, all these years later.
0: (laughs) I've experienced a similarly weirdly litigious uh, thing with youth encounters of uh, the educational variety there was a thing called olympics of the mind that i was in until the olympics made them change it wow <laughs> well, i didn't think olympics could even own because olympic is just an adjective right right that isn't uh, copyrightable maybe it is in some capacities but they had to change it to odyssey of the mind like why do you ca- we obviously aren't uh gold medalist hurdlers and then the estate
1: here. of homer yeah
2: right <laughs> But so with curse. yours, with yours though, part of what baffles me about this science camp uh, litigation thing was this was all pre-internet. So I don't know. It was did your thing happen during the internet? Because I'm just baffled by how they even found out about this thing in, in small town Ontario.
0: Yeah, no, this was also pre-internet. This would have been like late 80s, probably. So I have no yeah. idea how it happened. I just know one year I did it. It was Olympics of the Mind. Then the next year it was Odyssey of the Mind, and it was because of something related to the Olympic Games. So. I don't know it was preemptive. Like they were worried it was going to happen or well, there was no some idea. S-
1: there was some snitch. Yeah. Right? Someone, yeah. yeah. Someone grasped on you. Some Slugworth
0: <laughs> character. Let's yeah. see. I'm see if Odyssey of the Mind still exists. It, it does. It does. Oh. Founded in 1978. In fact, this might have even come up at some point. We've done this podcast for too long. I don't know. Um Let me real quickly see what the Olympic thing is. Yeah. First competition known as Olympics of the Mind um, and they don't discuss why it had to change anyway.
1: <laughs> but I, I, I like the fact that, you know, your, let's say, failure in science class led to a success in, well, was that one of your, that must have been one of your earliest tastes of making something, like making a film of some sort and having it be received. Definitely. Yeah.
2: Yeah, definitely, and it was... I feel like it was a big choice where I just said, I don't care about, you know, the the actual science or the grade here. I'm just out for laughs. And in a way, I haven't looked back since. But
1: <laughs> I, the, the reason I brought it up as well is I, this story that I had held over from last week that we didn't have time to get to. And I just put it in the, if you look in cast, in the comment section, you'll see, show on the, the link there. But... Romanesco, the the Romanesco of cauliflowers, the weird fractal shapes all start off life as failed flowers. Wow, mm, isn't that is a little beautiful? Like something coming out of failure. The uh, the Romanesco this. cauliflower, so, something better than it would have been otherwise. Yeah, one of yeah. the strangest looking vegetables because of its fractal florets. Owns it owes its unique shape to the fact that it forms from failed flowers, according to this new scientist article. Like regular cauliflowers, Romanesco is a product of selective breeding of the plant Brassica oleracea, from which several other common vegetables like cabbage, broccoli, and kale also originate. Wait, hang on, alright. Right Right away in this story... I, I would, I would, like I knew that cabbage, broccoli, kale, cauliflower, they're all related.
0: I didn't know that kale was in that family. I would have. I didn't know that. Yeah.
1: But but even had you not known that, like, would you have thought they were the same plant?
0: No, like never. it's the oh, same, or at least they. I mean, wait, that's it's not the... saying they are the same species, but they were selectively bred from the same. Or does that mean they are the same species?
1: Well, that's what I'm trying to work out. Is it? Is it literally? Does it have the same scientific
0: name? Is that? Like, is it like breeds of a dog where all dogs are still the same species? I don't right. know. Right, and like a, Dracica... a Chihuahua
1: and a Saint Bernard are all the same uh, technically they're all canis canis hmm
0: let me see uh call, all right Google.
1: You, you look okay. that up while i while I keep on I, the story i just didn't know that a
2: flower could fail how, how does a flower <laughs> yeah. how, how does one fail, fail. Yeah. like like what, does that mean it didn't actually become a flower or it became a flower and they were like yeah, you're, it, you're not pretty enough
1: so according to francois parsi at the french national center for scientific research and colleagues they figured out that the that cauliflowers, including Romanesca, gain their shape because they start off as flower buds that fail to become flowers.
2: Okay, okay.
1: These buds become shoots that make new flowers, which also fail, and the process is repeated again and again in a sort of chain reaction. And that's how you end up with this sort of fractal shape, where it's like a sort of a bud from a bud from a bud from a bud from a bud, and then none of them actually flower fully. They just keep becoming
2: like... wow.
1: ...ever branching. Mm. So... It seems almost like the
2: original definition of a clusterfuck. Like, it's just one failure compounding on another, and then they just keep going down that road. Beautiful failure pile.
0: Beautiful failure pile. Yeah, that's the PG version. (laughs) It's like a comedy album name, I think. Uh, So, by the way, these are all the same species. These are all just cultivars of that one species, Brassica Oleracea, wow. Oleracea. We learned something today. Cabbage, broccoli, cauliflower, kale, Brussels sprouts, collard greens, Savoy cabbage, kohlrabi, gylan. Those are all technically the same species, just different cultivars of that. God Interesting. Damn
2: it. I, have, I have most of this growing in my garden right now. And I can say, now that you tell me this from observation, that broccoli leaves do look very similar to kale leaves, which I had never kind of considered before.
1: That, that would make sense.
0: Oh, and so does that mean kale does have sort of floret-like things, but they're just very small, and it's just more leaf-heavy. I don't uh, know. Do you know what I mean. Like, like, I've never uh, noticed that part of a kale I plant. But I don't know.
1: Do we, if we have any kale experts listening to this show right now, please write in and tell us, and mark your envelope, <laughs> kale. <laughs> so, Alexander Butch at the University of Georgia says, "Really, what I, I what I was thinking immediately was, yay, finally an answer.'" These are regular patterns that we see over and over again. He wasn't involved in the research, by the way. He was right. just commenting in his story in *The New Scientist*. We can measure them, but why are they there and how are they controlled by how they are controlled biologically was always kind of a bigger question. While we still don't have all the answers, we do now know that the biological mechanism through which the fractals uh, through which the fractals form, Parsi and his colleagues studied the genes involved and built a three D computational model of plant development to explain how this happens. They start off as flowers, says Parsi, and then lose their identity. Mm. If you Imagine a firework, it explodes and makes light. It's like if each of them is exploding again and again. And what you get, the structure of this cauliflower, is the result of all these consecutive explosions.
2: Wow. That's a good way to get kids to eat cauliflowers, because it sounds awesome.
0: <laughs> it does. Is this even a tasty uh, plant? It looks... romanesco's. yeah, Romanesco tastes nice. Oh, it does, it's... okay. It, I mean, maybe, maybe just the fact that the picture is showing one that's... So green, you have to assume it's underripe. Is that the actual color that you would chop it, chop it up, and eat it when it's that color? It just yeah. looks, just looks tough. It looks very rubbery for some reason from the picture. No,
1: it's you know, it's like, it's it's like cauliflower. Cauliflower, broccoli. You know, you need, it needs cooking to soften well, or okay. color, or it, it benefits from it anyway. I, so,
0: yeah, I've never seen it in person.
1: So the difference between this and Romanesco, between regular cauliflowers rather than Romanesco, is that each individual failed flower is visible in the final Romanesco. Because Romanesco shoots produce more buds at an accelerating rate, which lifts the growing tip away from the center of the growing cauliflower, creating the familiar array of conical shapes that characterize the Romanesco. Other cauliflower buds are produced at a constant rate, which gives the finished vegetable a different appearance with rounded, hummocky florets. Wait,
0: that's a word? (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, what's this word? I hummock-y.
1: I don't know. I'm happy
0: to do with hummocks. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, not, hummocks.
2: It's, it's not quite hummocks. It's hummocky. <laughs> yes.
0: Oh, wait. Actually, the hummock is a thing. Okay. In geology, is a hummock is a small knoll or mound above ground. So just wow. another way of saying.
1: So just imagine something bump, that isn't bumpy. quite that as a vegetable.
0: <laughs> hummock adjacent. <laughs> huh. Interesting. I uh, whenever I think too hard about fractals, my brain hurts. Like when I'm looking at this picture and trying to like do the sort of like zo- zoom in, uh, it just I yeah. I don't get how it's possible. It's it's it, it makes
2: me feel like I'm on
0: drugs, and I assure yeah. you, I'm not. Sure, <laughs> sure. Yeah, it makes me want to see. Uh, what what was it like? Early days of sort of computer graphics that fractal videos went viral, like '80s. Or was it before that? I remember just seeing infomercials where you could just buy a VHS tape that's just going to have perpetual zooming in on a fractal. On oh, fractals, really? Yeah. Wow. I, I'm pretty sure. Yeah. And it's not actually, I'm sure it's not actually that hard to m- make that, you know, once you actually have the formula. Um, I don't know. you would never no, seen that? It's, You've just-
1: no, I, it's not that hard to make that. I, I had like a sort of fractal computer program when I was, this would have been in the late 90s. Yeah where you can mess around with it and create different
2: ones. I've still never been able to make one of those 3D posters work. Oh, really? I've never, ever been able to make it 3D. Like there's you... even there's that Seinfeld episode like from the 90s about the, Elaine's boss can't do it, and, and I've never cracked it.
0: I mean, I feel like you've probably already heard all the advice about ways to make it work, but have you ever been able to get just side-by-side stereoscopic pictures to work because there's two ways you could do those or I guess two ways you could do magic eye um, or two ways they can be made where, where either your eyes are supposed to straighten out so your right side right eye is seeing the right side and left the left or cross so the right seeing the left left seeing the right and sometimes people can cross their eyes more easily than they can sort of go almost wall-eyed or straight-eyed so like when Brian May on his Instagram posts stereoscopic pictures he usually posts two versions of each so you might want really? to go to Brian May's Instagram and look at because I was not aware that stuff. Brian
1: May frequently posts uh, stereoscopic images on his Instagram.
0: Yeah, it's surprisingly easy to just uh, with your iPhone just do an approximation of take two pictures at about an eyes distance apart of the same thing, and then just use any photo collage app to put them side by side. You can put them in either direction, and that'll determine whether you have to go sort of straight eyed or cross eyed. Um, I've made a couple, but whenever I post them, it doesn't really. I think a lot of people can't do it or don't like it, so I think it's huh. really cool. But I think you're probably in a pretty big group of people that can't do that with their eyes, Sean. Although I think if you did the crossed version and put your finger in front of the picture, looked at your finger, so your eyes are crossed to that point. And then move it around until the picture behind it sort of comes into focus. I don't know. Maybe maybe it's something you can't teach. But um, go to Brian May's Instagram anyway because it's, it's it's interesting. <laughs> I'm going to try,
2: but now I'm actually just realizing in this moment that maybe this failure is a result of my mom's chemistry experiments. Like, maybe oh. this is the worst impact of that lymphangioma is that I don't get to experience magic eye.
1: It's mm. not impossible. Do you, have, do you have normal stereoscopic vision? Like, can you see... Do, do things appear, like, clearly 3D when you... Like, Or can you, for example, can you even I, watch, like, a 3D movie?
2: I can watch a 3D movie. Yeah, I can watch, like, the new kind of 3D. I don't know if I've ever tried to watch, like, the old 3D with the two different colors.
1: They're all the same. They're all the same? Okay. Any of the it, ones yeah. with glasses, they're all just different ways of making each eye look at slightly different images.
2: Okay, okay. Well,
1: I, I can do that.
2: I have a appreciated Avatar to its full extent, if that's what you're asking. <laughs>
1: But yeah, I I wonder, maybe, yeah, if one eye is slightly less good at focusing or controlling itself, then yeah,
0: I'm not sure. I could see that being an issue. Uh, By the way, I'm going to post a link to, I just scammed, scammed? Scanned Brian May's Instagram (laughs) real quick. Um, And there's a great, someone reimagined the cover of News of the World as a side-by-side stereoscopic picture. So see if you can make that. Make your eyes cross looking at that. Okay. I'm guessing the answer is going to be no, but uh, if you can, the people, I guess, is that the band that the robot's holding up? They're sort of in, they're closer to the camera than the robot. And so you're
2: telling me to just cross my eyes.
0: Wait, this one is, no, this one's also a look-through one, so Sorry. (laughs) You have to make your eyes straighter for this one. But maybe actually go straighter. to the second page, second image. Let me see if that's also... Nope, that's also one. Dang it. Okay. Bad example. These are all the ones that have to do the magic eye version. <laughs> Wait, so, but, but
2: what, so but what happens when you look at this? You, you, so you see like a 3D thing here?
0: Yeah, when you, when you get wow. your eyes to go straighter, the two pictures overlap, and then sort of in your field of vision, you see three, you see... You know, because it's, it's imagine like the two moving independently until they overlap. You'll still on either side of that, you'll still see another image. So it'll be three total images, the middle of which is stereos- stereoscopic because your eyes are seeing two different images that were designed from an orientation of about an eyes width apart. So wow. it's just the way we're experiencing the world, um, if that makes sense. I, I get, I'm getting none of that. None of that. You can't look at you can't look at something past your screen. And then notice that if you don't fully look down but become aware of your periphery, you can see those two pictures have now overlapped. Oh. No? Uh, no. <laughs> okay. Okay. This is very fun for listeners, I'm sure. Yeah, this
2: is really fun for the
1: listeners. <laughs> I mean,
0: but seriously, listeners have advice for how to get people to – because whenever I take these pictures, I'm always excited to show them to people. And they're like, I don't get it. So if someone out there has yeah. a good there was, tip.
1: There was a Magic Eye poster outside of my art teacher's classroom that took me like – about half a year to get and then I could get them all. But like every time in and out of the lesson I'd pause for... I sort of run to the classroom early so that I could just stand outside it, staring at this wall for about an extra five minutes. <laughs> uh, and, and then I'd be late to the next lesson as well because I'd just be also stopping outside just to try and stare for as long as I can until I'm like the last person to go.
0: <laughs> it really was the coolest thing about 1992, yeah. 1993. And then,
1: but then was... I also had a little... I had a... Uh, some software that did that like i had some software that would let you make your own magic eye picture
0: really oh, cool wait how does it decide what to? H- how <laughs> so
1: so you would make the initial image and it's all in grayscale. and the way the way it so like the grayer uh the darker the gray the further in the is it foreground or background i think it's like the the darker it is the further back it is and the uh, lighter it is, the n- the nearer it is. So you make an image, but in grayscale, and that's how you sort of decide the three Dness of it. Mm. And then you could also select what the kind of surface picture would be, what the kind of repeating surface picture right, would be right. that they would then sort of jumble to and space out to make the the magic eye part of it.
0: So that grayscale thing that requires some real skill. That wouldn't just be uh, an easy thing to figure out how dark to make a part to make it farther back well
1: no you can make it pretty easily like you can i can't remember what software i had at the time but like the simplest version of it would just be you know a text or a shape like it would just be like kind of a, two different depths or three different depths so it would just be like the very oh, background okay. right, and then right. like a word you wanted to spell out in big block letters that would come out of that background so you do like the background in like dark gray and then the letters in mid-shade gray and then maybe have something else in like a really light grey, and that's like right in the foreground.
0: Right, just like three different flat planes. That's, that's yeah. Okay. That's but
1: you could fine. also like uh, you know you could do like a graduated thing, like in the early version of like I think it was like Corel Draw or some one of those uh, one of those programs, mm-hmm. and you just have it shaded. So you know you have it like kind of you can you can do that kind of like shading scale where it, like you make it so that the front is like this color grey and the back is that color grey, and it sort of gra- does the graduated shading between the two. So I would just make a plane, but that plane isn't perpendicular. So it is at an angle or whatever. Yeah, plane, or you right, can make right. a cone that kind of comes out like that.
0: Oh, right, okay. You're not making and, like a picture of a horse or something that has uh, all kinds of detail or something.
1: No, 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 I wasn't doing that. So, but what did you,
2: you like, did you, were you using this? Were you, like, pumping out indie magic eyes and,
1: and <laughs> like, selling them? Publishing my own books. No, I was just, I, I was looking at them on my computer and being proud of myself and then showing it to my friends maybe. It, and then making another one. That was that was how teenage Matt occupied himself for a, <laughs> for a
0: summer until Big Magic Eye clamped down on you with that cease and desist. Right? Yeah, 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 yeah. Big
1: God. Eye, big <laughs> eye. <laughs>
2: the Magic Eye in the sky.
1: Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, oh, by, by the way, you did us a favor because we had our the, the city in in Canada that is spelled. Um, uh, that begins with a G and we mispronounced exactly the last episode. You just correctly pronounced as a native of the area.
0: Oh, wait, Guelph. What, what did we just say? Because Bryson Rhodes wrote in with a correction Actually, that I think is a bit because he's saying it's a different pronunciation from that. I, is it a joke? This is a joke, right?
2: Wait, so how did you pronounce it?
0: I don't know, but Bryson wrote in to say, uh, wait, is this a bit? <laughs> G- gulph. there's no way it's gulph. he wrote g-u-l-e-p-h not g-u-e-l-p-h wait
1: no oh, all right bryson i don't even know what you're this doing now bit. but i'm gonna take yeah, the canadian's I, word for how it's pronounced right i think this is a bit
2: yeah well, Guelph. Guelph. what, what it's, did it's, we say
0: we didn't <laughs> maybe we said just guelph or something
2: Guelph.: yeah that would be understandable Guelph. yeah
1: yeah i think that's how i said it
0: like Guelphlings.
1: Well, while we're talking about computers doing remarkable things, uh, Michael Valbuena said sent in a, pic, a story from Science Alert about man, a man's brainwaves, a paralyzed man's brainwaves, being converted to speech. Oh, I like this one! Wow. Yeah. In a in a world first breakthrough, this is you know, I I remember when it was remarkable that they just managed to get brainwaves to move a ball on a screen. Yeah, this is like move a cursor. But now, in a world's first, U.S. researchers have developed a neuroprosthetic device that successfully translated the brainwaves of a paralyzed man into complete sentences, according to a paper published on Thursday. This is an important technological milestone for a person who cannot communicate naturally, says David Moses, who is a postdoc engineer at the University of California, San Francisco, and one of the lead authors in the study. It demonstrates the potential for this approach to give voice to people with severe paralysis and speech loss. The breakthrough involved a 36-year-old man who had a stroke when he was 20 that left him with uh, um, anarthria, the inability to speak intelligibly, though his cognitive function had remained intact. And every year, thousands of people lose this ability to talk due to strokes, accidents, or disease. Past researchers focused on reading brainwaves via electrodes to develop mobility prosthetics that allow users to spell out letters. Yeah, so I've seen that where, you know, the same way we... they originally made like a cursor move around the screen in a really basic way. Now they, they got to the point that they could make, you know, this cursor move around a screen that had letters or even words. You sort of pointed it like it's a word map. Uh, wow. But now, so my, sorry. My grandfather was actually paralyzed
2: when, when, he, when I was a teenager. He, he woke up one morning with Guillaume barre It's like a nerve uh, disease. Oh, oh yeah. yeah. And so he, he just woke up. Uh, he was super athletic until his 60s and woke up one morning, couldn't do anything except blink his eyes. And at that time, that was like an experimental thing that they were considering was like, could we get him to do this thing where he can control like a mouse cursor? They never ended up doing it, but uh, he eventually rehabbed over the course of several years. But the highlight of his rehab was that at one point, uh, he told my family that he was ready to drive again (laughs) <laughs> like to, to, to drive a car by himself. And we all said, you know, that's like... He, at this point, he couldn't even walk yet. He couldn't use his fingers. But he had on his own time, he would wear these gloves that he would put like a cutlery in because he couldn't use his fingers. So he would kind of have to use the, a fork and a glove to, to eat. And he had created this rope pulley system that attached from his gloves to the steering wheel. And... <laughs> was like pitching our family on being able to take the car out for a spin, which, uh, of course, we didn't let him do. But uh, eventually he'd fully recovered and was able to drive again. But that was that was his boldest moment when he tried to invent a rope system to let him pilot a car again.
1: I get it. I, I mean, if he, you know, if he had the skill and dexterity to be able to attach this rope pulley system and cutlery contraption together in the first place.
2: Yeah, yeah. There's there's this, something to be uh, commended about it, but uh, he's not going to get a license. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I do, yeah, very much appreciate the effort, though. So...
1: So this new approach was intended to enable more rapid and organic communication. UCSF researchers have previously placed electrode array- arrays on patients with normal speech who were undergoing brain surgery to decode the signals that control the vocal tract in order to express vowels and consonants and were able to analyze the patterns to predict words. But the concept hadn't been tried out on, par- on a paralyzed patient to prove it could offer clinical benefit. The team decided to launch a new study called BRAIN... Here we go. Look at this contrived acronym. Brain computer interface restoration of arm and voice.
2: Uh-huh. Mm.
1: The first participant asked to be referred to as Bravo One. Okay, that doesn't even work out with the letters.
0: <laughs> Wait, uh brain hold on, you have to ignore so many letters to get to Bravo.
1: Yeah, it actually stands for Bekivravo. Bekivrav. <laughs> yeah Yeah, yeah Bekivrav. Uh huh. Bekivrav, yep, that's it. But the first uh so since so, so bravo oh so bravo 1 okay bravo 1 is the requested name of the first patient right to anonymize pro- that person i so, see so, yeah. so bravo but still it should be bekivravo 1 rav 1 Since suffering a devastating brainstem stroke, Bravo One has had extremely limited head, neck, and limb movements and communicates by by using a pointer attached to a baseball cap to poke letters at a screen. The researchers worked with Bravo One to develop a 50-word vocab with words essential to his daily life, like water, family, and good, then surgically implanted a high-density electrode over his speech motor cortex. Over the next several months, the team recorded his neural activity as he attempted to say the 50 words hmm. and used artificial intelligence to distinguish subtle patterns in the data and tie them to words. So I guess it's like slowly teaching, slow training the system to connect different brain patterns to the, wo- the 50 words. Then to test it at work, they presented him with sentences constructed from the vocabulary set and recorded the results on a the screen. They then prompted him with questions like, how are you today? And would you like some water? which he was able to answer with responses like, I'm very good, and no, I am not thirsty. The system decoded up to 18 words per minute with a median accuracy of 75%. An autocorrect wow. function... Yeah, that's not bad, right? An autocorrect yeah, function 50%. similar to that used in phones contributed to its success. Okay. I, that- feel,
2: I feel like it's... This is clearly incredible, but... I feel like it won't be legit until, like, what kind of voices do these people get to choose? Because if it's just the one standard computer voice, I don't think that's enough. Like, people deserve—like, there should be celebrity voices you could choose to speak on your behalf.
0: Well, I think if you have enough—like, if one of us has this happen to us, I think the technology exists that somebody could parse the hours of this podcast we've done and have a model that— would generate tones in in your actual voice, and I think That's actually a, Stephen Hawking wow. had, had that option at some point, but he had become so like his robotic voice was towards the end of his life chosen because it was like what he was used to for his sound. You know, like he, they had the technology to give him a different oh. voice by then, but I think that towards the end of it, it was a, it was by choice. Um,
2: I but, still want Liam Neeson. I, I want. Yeah,
0: right. Yeah.
1: <laughs> well, there's a there's a comic in the UK who doesn't have a voice and he commu- he does his whole act through a voice synthesizer um wow and he uh he goes by the name of lost voice guy lee ridley's his real name but he um he recently did exactly that like he had uh he he put out a call for someone because he'd been using a voice synthesizer from i think he's from the north of england and you know the stand of there just wasn't a voice that sounded like him so he basically auditioned voices and is reprogramming his his synthesizer with something that is closer to how he would actually sound or should actually sound.
2: Wow. Okay. Okay. On on a sort of related note, the did you see this week this controversy about the Anthony Bourdain documentary and they used AI for his voice?
1: No. Oh, I did. Uh. I saw. I didn't know what the story. was. There was one of those things that I saw people on Twitter getting.
2: Yeah. So there's this whole sort of ethical debate happening because the people who made that documentary, there's some voiceover in it, in Anthony Bourdain's voice that he never said. And, and they used AI, similar to, to what you were describing, Andy, they used AI to like piece together things he had said into new sentences And but they didn't say this like they didn't make this public when they published the documentary. It was sort of leaked afterwards. So no one knew. Everyone thought this was like real undiscovered recordings he had made. But actually, it's stuff they fabricated with AI.
0: Oh, that's That's messed up. But also, didn't it happen a while back with um, Paul Abdul and Gene Kelly in a Diet Coke commercial? Yeah. They, They put footage of Gene Kelly. I mean, not exactly the same thing, but it's like, well, he. He's dead. You can't have him dancing for Diet Coke. You don't know if that would have been something he was about. But, but also,
1: they were they were upfront about it. They weren't like, hey, guess what we just discovered? Oh, long-lost footage, footage of, um, <laughs> of Gene Kelly and Paula Abdul.
0: Good point, good point. Yeah. yeah. Also, did, she,
1: did you know she was never in the same room as the cat, either?
0: What? MC's <laughs> <this> Cat Cat? <laughs> yeah. yeah by it. I mean, they, they were like, opposites. I do know that.
1: Yeah, that's why. They could... They could the, the opposites part was true. Attract was just a lie. They had to keep them in separate sound stages. They were both filmed against green screens, and then it, they, was, they were put together afterwards.
0: This is another comics bit, but in all the litany of reasons why they wouldn't work because they're opposites, never once did they mention that one is animated and one's a real person. It never comes up in the list of opposites. Uh, but other thing I was thinking about with this language thing is, uh, I imagine we're not too far off from it being pretty real-time, but the when, it, when it's between the 18 words a minute and the real time, if you as the speaker are also hearing your voice, that's really going to fuck with you. Like uh, whenever I have an echo mm. on one of these calls, if I hear my own voice back at me a half second later or a split second later, it makes it impossible to then formulate my next word because you're hearing the words you just said. Oh, that's a good that's, point. So Interesting. I wonder if it's just going to fuck with your ability to even generate the thoughts of the next word and maybe you'll have to just not be in the same room as the sound that you're generating so well, i think
1: that's the kind of thing that you would you to. would learn have to yeah you would get used to that I mean, there's so much more adjustments and getting used to that this entire process involves that i think that would be one of the things that your body would your brain would be able to handle maybe so maybe so
2: and and, and wait so i'm just realizing how this works after you said that so the person would only have to think the words like they wouldn't have yeah. to okay or think so,
0: about trying to say them i think and then they've mapped when they asked them to try that they've mapped the neural activity that happened when they were saying now try to say the word good we'll look at that and that's going to be like mapped to that in the future so when those same right when the same activity happens cuz
2: that that that's the part that's fascinating yeah. to me is the difference between is it saying what you're thinking or it's saying what you're consciously thinking about saying because if it's just saying what you're thinking then wouldn't it just be all this random
1: like all this unprocessed thought that would just spew oh, out oh that's a good point i think it would have to be more the latter yeah like it probably involves a certain amount of c- concentration because yes also there's there's then you get into the other part of just you you and i who can who have the ability to speak out loud choose which of our thoughts we mm-hmm. we say out loud or at least you know we often do i but uh, i can't say that i always manage to pick correctly in that one but uh, <laughs> but it it for the most part not every thought that comes into your head goes out of your mouth whereas if you're rigged up to this thing there would have to be a certain amount of control, but maybe it does involve such a sort of concentration and a special type of thought that it wouldn't just be sort of randomly belting out words that are coming into your head.
2: I'm veering away from pure science here, but I feel like this teeters on the edge of dystopian because would that mean in, in this thing they've built that, is that all it's capable of doing or is it just a filter? Like, could whoever owns this software kind of turn a dial and actually receive just your unfiltered thoughts?
0: No, I think it's a learning. Like the the software itself is learning when they they'll say to you, "Okay, think of mouthing." You know, you can't mouth it, but think right. of mouthing the word "good," and that's okay. going to cause a different pattern of neural activity than okay. just imagining things that are conceptually good. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. And then they'll map that to. It's almost like a version of. Do you watch any? I don't know why I have multiple. I have like three different Instagram accounts I follow of dogs that have those um, word buttons on the floor, and their owners have taught them pretty well. Oh, My wife
2: and I are all about this.
0: <laughs> you you have follow what about Bunny? That standard poodle. <laughs> yeah, there's really really sassy poodle. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> there's also there's the Yorkie that someone just taught to swear, and it just says just hits the fuck <laughs> button all the time. In the comments are <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. always getting mad at them for teaching the dog to swear. Uh, but yeah, what about bunny? That dog, it, it, you know, it's not, I'm not trying to say this, that these people in this experiment have a similar intellect, but I'm saying the the input output of that is sort of similar they've trained when you want to say upstairs, this is the button that you press. Similarly, when you're talking to the person hooked up to this, you know, think of the word upstairs. We're going to map what happens when that is thought by you. And refer to it later, which is sort yeah, it's sort of like the buttons on the floor. If anyone doesn't follow What About Bunny on Instagram, it's crazy. I really want to see unedited footage of like, cause I hope it's not selection bias, and I hope that the dog always makes sense and they aren't only yeah. posting videos when it happens to put together some words that are like, whoa, that dog just expressed an awareness of its own mortality or yeah, yeah, yeah. It's starting to get concepts like humans and dogs as different things and understanding the time like yesterday and tomorrow which is beyond what i thought a dog could conceptualize but
2: but but even like it when you when you get into these videos as a comedian watching it it's like At some points, the dog even seems to grasp, like, timing and, like, the (laughs) use of swear words, which some, like, professional comedians don't even have a grasp of, like, (laughs) it's like, you know, he's, like, working his way up to the F-bomb, you know what I mean? Like, (laughs) Yeah,
0: that swearing Yorkie definitely does little delays and then just asshole, asshole. And then that one dog that's another, like, some toy dog, I don't know what it is, but, like, it has an array of 50 buttons, but it just hammers on the treat button all day. It's just super basic. Just goes, yeah, treat, 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 yeah, treat, yeah. treat,
1: So is, is the dog able to work clean for, like, a TV
0: set? Well, I mean, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Under duress with <laughs> yeah. right, the right pay scale. Get him to do that. By the way, when we're speaking about the way that the brain processes language, there is a course on Wondrium called Language in the Mind that our listeners might want to check out. And you can do that for free if you go to wondrium.com slash probably. You'll get an unlimited access trial of all of their thousands of audio and video courses. This one's really cool. Um, it has courses on uh, the 11 linguistic universals, communication in the animal kingdom that we were just talking about. How the brain created language in the first place, um, and gestures and the origins of human language. Wondrium is great. It used to be called Great Courses Plus, and they have even more courses now. Yeah, that they are partnered Wondrium. with.
1: Yeah, they partner with more, even more services. So they've got a bunch of different videos that weren't previously accessible. It is an expanded, hugely expanded library. Uh, I've I've been watching uh, Hannah Fry, who is one of the best. Uh, She's a mathematician, but also a very a great communicator and broadcaster. She's got a series on there called Magic Numbers. So I've been cool. watching that. And I'm also just dipping back into the wine course because I never finished that. And I want to, you know, that was one of my tasks for, for lockdown was come out being in a state of not necessarily panicking when they, uh, you know, I'm past the age where it's, where it's acceptable. To, uh, to not exactly know what to do when the waiter pours you a little bit of wine.
0: Right. Well that's gotta be the easiest of all the wine learning is just the etiquette of uh, of uh that process, right? No?
1: Uh, no, because also like I'm still panicked that I'm just gonna say it's fine and it's just not
0: fine. Oh, like it's actually corked and you didn't know that. Yeah. Or something. Yeah. I'm not sure. I'm not sure I would know. Maybe I gotta watch that course too.
1: But um but yeah, that's coming up. That's the next one that I've got queued up. So uh the wine service ritual in restaurants. There we well, go. Yeah.
0: If you want to listen to it, you can get a free month of unlimited access. Just go to wondrium.com probably. That's wondriu dot probably. Go check it out.
1: I was about to jump off of the New Scientist website, but I just saw this strangely connects to what you were just talking about. Uh, dogs know if you're lying. They will mm, ignore wow. you. Or rather, they will ignore you if they know you are lying, unlike young children. So dogs tend to ignore suggestions from people who are lying, hinting that (laughs) unlike human infants and some non-human primates, they might recognize when a person is being deceptive. Ludwig Huber at the University of Vienna said, We thought dogs would behave like children under the age of five and apes, but now we speculate that perhaps dogs can understand when someone is being deceitful. Maybe they think this person has the same knowledge as me and is nevertheless giving me the wrong information. It is possible wow. they could see this as intentionally misleading, which is lying.
0: I love wow. that <laughs> sentence. I don't think about that.
1: Yeah, I know I should have done the whole thing in an Austrian accent,
0: but I'm going to say in a dog accent and I don't know what that sounds like, but... <laughs> I have a
2: dog and I believe this to be true and I would even say that my dog is able to tell when someone is lying to themselves. Like <laughs> My my dog hates certain people just for for no reason. We can't figure it out, but uh some of those people have explained to me that they feel like it's because they're not being genuine when
0: when they're around him.
1: <laughs> like like saying that I, says I, a lot I more can, about them than it does about uh, the dog, I think.
0: Yeah. <laughs> you're just sitting there and you say, I can finish this screenplay and the dog just rolls his eyes. Like is that the kind of thing that
2: <laughs> I think it's more—it's more the old they can smell fear thing. So, oh, okay. so when certain people come to visit and they come into our yard, um, if they're kind of pretending to be friendly, but he knows that they're actually terrified of him, um, oh, yeah. he can sense that out right away. But it, it's interesting how specific it is.
0: What kind of dog do you have again?
2: Um, he's a rescue, so we don't—we don't actually know. But a lot of people say that he's a Patterdale Terrier.
1: Patterdale.
2: Yeah, it's I like a, of it.
1: the the reacting like to a, fear and anxiety is definitely real. That that's definitely yes, real. yeah,
2: I, I believe so.
1: Um, like even just this is going to be a very gross example, and I apologize. You might want to anyone who's li- eating will listen to that. You might want to skip a, a tiny bit ahead.
0: Oh, I'm very but intrigued now. This <laughs> is with with,
1: this, with our cat who has been mentioned many times in this podcast. But oh, Paddedale Terrier! I just look. That's that's an adorable looking dog. Yeah, he's pretty adorable. Yeah um but we've tried to cut his toenails ourselves and he's just not having it and he's like you know he he just he'll he'll sort of scratch and just basically roll himself away and just make you know move too much you just can't hold him still you can't do it but on now i think three separate occasions he's had a stomach upset and then like try to bury what he's done and ended up with a uh, like a paw, or a cup one one or more paws that are um, deeply unpleasant and need to be cleaned in a in emergency oh. situation, right? But oh. in those situations, oh. we've basically had like one of us has picked up, uh, like picked him up, and normally like Holly has held him in the bathroom while I've sort of held his paws one by one and just washed them with like a mixture of like a towel and just washed them in the sink. Uh And even like, you know, had to like press on his foot pads to make his claws come out and his toes extend so I can get (laughs) in between his toes, which is what you have to do when you're cutting a cat's nails, but but that, but so I can get between his toes and clean them out and like clean it properly. And it's gross and it, but in that, in that situation, because it's just like each of us, and this is more me because I'm definitely the one who's like the more sort of reticent and anxious and not assured when it comes to handling him in this situation but in that situation when it's like we need to get this shit off his feet like there's no anxiety it's just like we just need to get this done everything every sort of tentative aspect of the behavior just goes out the window so now it's just like you grab him I'll hold this and once you start doing that then he's just like yeah okay Again, oh, like he, he, just sort of, he
0: sees that you have committed to this and you're not scared of doing it?
1: Yeah, it's like he doesn't squirm. He squirms a bit and, you know, there's, if he gets a little bit too overwhelmed, we have to sort of stop for a second or two. But we we get the we, each time it's happened, we've got the job done successfully and without him, like, you know, clawing and scratching and biting us, he doesn't bite us at all when this is happening. But if you tr- try and hold him and cut his nails, either with the nail clippers or the file... Uh, or like we've got this I bought this little electric file thing and he did not like that. Uh that looks very much like a sex toy. <laughs> <laughs> it looks exactly like a sex toy. <laughs> but um uh but when we've tried to use those like he's like squirming, he's biting, he's not having you know we have to just take him around the corner to the the groomer to get the professional to do it.
0: God. Doug. But
1: but it's exactly the same but what i'm saying it's exactly the same motion like is it it's exactly the same action holly right. holding him and me picking up his paws one by one and like squeezing them and inspecting them and and even like you know squeezing them so that they they separate like that's the same action but the two different situations and the two different head that i'm in in one of them he squirms and bites and the other one he just accepts it
0: oh huh. yeah So when you muster the the courage and resolve to muster his toenails, I'm using muster right now. I think so. Yeah.
1: (laughs) Yeah, but it's exactly that. Like it's like with the toenails, you're like, oh well, if we can't do this, then we can still take him around the corner. And also, I'm I'm a bit nervous about because if you cut too, if you get if you cut too far down, you can cut the quick and you can make him bleed and you can hurt him. So you know, I'm I'm nervous, I'm anxious, and you know, I'm and also it's not like a necessary action. Whereas when he stepped in the the like
0: so now we have now to now it's like
1: of this. this is like this needs to happen, I don't give up you know I don't right. care you you might not like this right now, but we need to get this off you, and it's for your own good and it's for all of our it's for all of our sakes
0: Have you ever thought you, that maybe it's a Dom sub thing that Doug's just into and you didn't know
1: <laughs> I mean I can try you know I can try the variants of that, yeah, that's probably a... that's definitely a route worth exploring yeah.
2: I just sent this link uh, building on that, that, um, yeah, these dogs, specifically these dogs that look very similar to the dog that I have. And Canada is on the cutting edge of this. There's two dogs in the province of Ontario that work in courtrooms now. And they're basically there for when children have to give testimony. And as you can imagine, usually the testimony that a child will be giving is probably kind of something heavy that's not easy for them to talk about. And these two dogs are trained as therapy dogs, and they'll sit in the um, like the the witness box and just respond emotionally to the stress and fear of the kid. Mm-hmm. And they'll like kind of touch the kid or like you know just you oh, know okay. interact with the kid. And then, so then the kid ends up giving the testimony to the dog and just forgets that all these adults are in the room. Oh. And this is like a pilot now. There's, there's two of these dogs in Ontario. It's been around for a couple of years now.
1: Oh, that's cool. Um, cool. I've heard of the sort of therapy dogs being used in hospitals to calm patients. Mm-hmm. And they bring them around and particularly in children's wards. It says here in the article that you can't, they can't call them therapy dogs because that imp- Im- implies a bias which is not permissible in court so they have mm. to call them facility dogs interesting yeah
0: by the way but- this picture of the black lab named molly i, I would just describe this dog and, and this particular pose as professional a Very
1: <laughs> yeah. Professional <Yes>. looking. <laughs> yeah Mollies we'll put a link to this in the- yeah yeah we'll put a link in the show notes to this per- and all the stories as we always do but this dog just looks like yeah just there to get a, a job done <laughs>
2: the- Molly's there to work but also looks like a dog who's heard some shit.
1: Like oh, yeah. <laughs> heard heard some heavy stories. Yeah. yeah.
2: <laughs> but she's handling it like a pro. Um therapy dog related, my my wife used to work as a bartender and once bartended a private party. I feel like I can say this for the Netflix show uh, Lost in Space. Mhm. And uh the actress Parker Posey was was at this um this party. And when the party was over, my wife realized that Parker Posey had left the certified harness for her therapy dog uh, at the party. And so, Parker, if you're listening to this, we still have your um, <laughs> therapy dog harness.
0: I thought you were going to say you turned your your Patterdale terrier into therapy dog with that harness. <laughs> we we <laughs> yeah, definitely we just had considered three it for the
1: rest of yeah.
0: Yeah, we considered it, but
2: I don't know. We, did, we We just thought maybe it's not right. But so we just have Parker Posey's therapy dog harness.
0: <laughs> I, I've watched most of Lost in Space, and I love the recasting of. Now I'm forgetting the name of the doctor that she plays. Um, do, 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 what is the character? Do you guys know what I'm talking oh, about? Oh, is she Doctor Smith? Yes. Yeah. So they they did a little gender swap for the uh, for this version. But yeah, really fun show, Lost in Space. Yeah. the new Netflix version by the way we didn't actually finish the details no we of didn't the dogs, we didn't okay. even start the story the we got very
1: yeah so sorry uh, we barely got we barely started we got as far as Ludwig saying right intentionally <laughs> misleading is lie. lying but so Huber and his colleagues trained 260 dogs of various pure breeds to find hidden food in one of two covered bowls the dogs learned to follow the suggestion of a person they had never met known as the communicator who would touch the food filled bowl glance at the dog and say look this is very good (laughs) dogs appeared to trust this new person when they were reliably following the signal huber says once that trust was established the team had the dogs witness another person move the food from the first to the second bowl the communicators were either in the room and also witnessed the switch or were briefly absent, and so apparently unaware that the food had been switched. In either case, the communicators would later recommend the first bowl, which was now empty. Okay, everyone, everyone on board now? Got it, got it. Yeah. So the communicator yeah. is still going to point at the, the bowl number one, but bad now bowl. that's the bad bowl, and say, this is very good. In previous versions of this experiment with children under the age of five and Japanese macaques or chimpanzees rather than dogs. So all of these different, the the three types of thing, the the child, the young child, the macaque or the chimp. In each of them, the participants react in particular ways. If a communicator had been absent during the food switch, it would appear that they they could not know where the treat really was. As such, the children, chimps or the macaques would typically ignore a communicator who gave honest but misleading advice on where the food was but if the communicator yeah but if the communicator had been in the room and witnessed the switch but still recommended the first now empty bowl the young children and non, and the non-human primates were actually much more likely to follow the communicator's knowingly misleading suggestion to approach the empty container this may be because the children and the primates trusted the communicator over the evidence of their own eyes so the but here we go here come the dogs the dogs in the new experiment... So the, the kids, the dumb, the dumb kids will still go to the empty bowl because they yeah. trust in the human, as will the chimps and the macaques. But the dogs were not so trusting of the lion communicators, much to the researcher's surprise. Half of the dogs would follow the communicator's misleading advice if the communicator had not witnessed the food switch. Oh, sorry. If, if the, so if the communicator had not witnessed the food switch, half of them would follow the communicator's advice still and still go to, like, the empty bowl. Mm-hmm. But about two-thirds of dogs... Ignored a communicator who had witnessed the food switch and still recommended the now empty bowl. These mm. dogs simply went to the bowl filled with food instead. They did not rely on the communicator anymore. So that's mad. That's actually really bizarre. Yeah. So so the hu- the dogs the dogs are more likely if the it's almost like they're sort of humoring the human who was who didn't know that the food had been switched by going to it the first time Cause Yeah because but when when they know that the humans saw the food being moved they're like what are you doing what are you doing it's this one come on now so this study says monique udell at oregon state university was not involved in in the study uh monique says this study reminds us that dogs are watching us closely and are picking up on our social signals and are learning from us constantly even outside of formal training contact contexts the fact that half the dogs trusted the communicator who seemed to have made an honest mistake could reveal about, a lot about how dogs process social information. There is both genetic and behavioural evidence that dogs are hyper-social, meaning that many dogs have a difficult time ignoring social cues, even when another solution might be more advantageous. This is a really striking example of just how often this may occur.
2: So my my question is for the the scientists who conducted this research is how did they adjust for the variable of the quality of the liar?
1: That's a good question.
2: Because there's clearly, we know there's good liars and there's bad liars. Well, I
1: I guess they're they're hoping that the, um, yeah, because that that, that can't be a blind study as far as the human communicator is because the human communicator is in the room. So they can't... They are going to try and point at the empty bowl with equal vigor and equal confidence. But don't so. they
2: have dialogue? I thought you said they had a line that they yeah, had to say. Yeah, they
1: do. Right? So how like are they do- this? This read. is the line.
2: Look, this is very good. Like, uh, uh, there's any number of ways you could say that line, and a lot of them could be really bad, like really <laughs> unbelievable.
0: Yeah, how do you cast a <laughs> scientist for their ability to give a good line readable line? Yeah, yeah.
1: Well maybe maybe you go to the university's theater department rather than the science rather than the science grad students who normally volunteer for these experiments. Yeah.
0: Yeah, they should definitely yeah. be holding skulls as they're doing this and addressing <laughs> yeah. those yeah. skulls.
1: Do you mind if yeah. I just rewrite this line as behold?
0: Yeah.
1: This thing is very good.
2: <laughs> really committed actors would actually eat some of the food in front of the dog. <laughs>
1: Or plate plated it if it's empty. Yeah, mm. right, right. Yum this yum yum good. yum yum. Mm. Yeah. Mm, delicious. <laughs>
0: delicious marrow. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So dogs are, I guess, sort of, sort of interpreted as less trust, trusting than than young children.
1: Yeah, or at least, if not less trusting, it's more like they 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 feel a sense of betrayal quicker. I guess it's both. Like, they're both less trusting, but also, like, the second they find out that you you have misled them, then they're like, well, I'm done with this guy.
2: Another variable here I'm just noticing that isn't uh, commented on is the age of the dogs. Because they say the kids are under five, and kids under five are essentially idiots. (laughs) But, like... If the dog are all these dogs of a certain age, like because maybe they're older, wiser dogs who have just been lied to way too many times. Yeah, <laughs> and, you know, like like how, does how that many times has that it?
1: dog seen someone like fake throw a ball and it hasn't actually? been
2: <laughs> Yeah, yeah, it. exactly, exactly. Just got
0: thousand yard stares. Yeah, yeah. yeah. All you have right. to get like ten month old dogs to have the apples to apples comparison of like a five. Yes, right, right.
2: Ten month to five year, yeah. Dogs who have never had their heart broken.
0: Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> I uh, see that experiment.
1: Sean, are, are you able to stick around for an extra, one extra story for our Patreon patrons? Definitely. Yeah, let's well, do it. Well, thank you. But in the meantime, we should probably wrap up the main episode. And where can our listeners find everything you've done, including your brand new album?
2: Uh, It's all at my website, Sean Devlin dot website. And uh, so my
1: albums there and some films I've made are there. So yeah, please go check it out. Yeah, you've made some really cool stuff, and also you're involved in the the new Borat film as well, along with. The-
2: yeah, I was a consulting producer on on Borat, and um, yeah, a lot of uh, a lot of lying involved in <laughs> in that work. So that's part of why I was fascinated with this this particular story. But uh, if you haven't seen that film already, definitely
0: go go check that out. So good on Amazon Prime, I believe for free, right? Amazon, yep. yeah.
1: Uh, you you can find us as is your album has your album actually dropped or is it still is it pre ordered? it has it's out now yeah awesome so you can get it live in all the places i'm sure it's all linked to on on the website you can find us as always at probablyscience.com uh on twitter at probablyscience, science individually at andy t wood and at matt kersh Probablyscience probably science dot gmail.com is the email address for any questions comments clarifications canadian city pronunciation uh and uh I don't know, just coming, (laughs) saying saying hi. Anything else you want to share with us? Sean, thank you so much for joining us. Indeed. Thank you. See you next time. Bye.